Hello and welcome to the Critical Line Item. My name's Tom Rabbit. Thank you for joining me for this particular podcast. One of the uh, things that I'm doing with the podcast at the current time is looking at the way in which people have gone into and come out of various uh, various uh, fringe movements or extreme movements and and what uh, what impact they've had on on their lives. Uh, in part because of the parliamentary committee that's sitting at the moment, looking at the issues of uh, radicalisation and extremist movements in Australia, but also because it's important to understand that there's a way out of movements, there's a way of, um, in, in various respects, rehabilitating where you where people uh, work. My guest today is uh, Ed Schofield. He calls himself Grumpy Old Dude on YouTube. Uh, he has a history of being involved in certain far-right groups. I'll get him to explain that. Uh, but these days he's linked up with uh, a range of people that deal with de-radicalisation. His YouTube channel also talks about, or is, features interviews of people talking about their journey through life their journey through um, uh, a difficult patch, if I can put it that way, and what it took to get them out. Um, Ed, thank you for joining me. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Now, people who see your channel will see that um, you talk to people about the stories and you've obviously got your own. Um, As I've said to... Others with Jeff Scoop and um, uh, Fred Cook, uh, in most recently. Well, you know, coming out means it's a way of getting in. What happened in your case? Um, my case was, you know, I I got arrested when I was 19 years old. Um, I had an altercation with a gentleman. Uh, that turned to a violent confrontation. Um, this person pulled the knife on me, and unfortunately, I I took his life. I I killed him in self defense. Um, at the time, the authorities didn't see it as self defense, and I was charged with a first degree involuntary homicide. And I took that case to trial. And unfortunately, I lost that trial and I got sentenced to 30 years in prison. Um, I did get that case overturned on appeal, but I spent uh, 12 and a half years in prison before I was finally released, you know, on the appeal. So you you initially sentenced to 30 years, but it took you 12 and a half years to relitigate the case and get them to get get them to, to, to release you. Right. Right. Um during that time when uh when I got arrested and I first went to jail, um there were some friends of mine and these are you know two two of the gentlemen that I'm speaking about are people that I had known my whole life. We grew up together. And they were also incarcerated. Um, they were in jail for activities involved around white supremacy. Um, they had 
committed bank robberies and murders and various other crimes. And these two gentlemen started to feed me white supremacy propaganda, basically, telling me that the only reason that I got arrested and the only reason I wasn't given self-defense was because I'm a white guy and I killed a cop's kid who happens to be part Jewish. And that's why I'm in jail. It's not that I actually did anything wrong. It's because I did something to the wrong person. And, you know, I look at it now, you know, I, I was 19 then. I'm almost 50 now. I look back on that and like, that just sounds ridiculous. Oh, hold on. You're almost 50. I'm yeah. almost 50. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and, and you went through that from 19 all the way to your early Th 30s. Yeah, I was 31 years old when I got released. What then happened between the age of 19 when you ended up in the clink and um, when you got out? Um, well, hearing, hearing this stuff, it made sense to me at the time that there, this, this has to be because I clearly was defending myself against someone with a weapon. And you know, regardless, I, I have a, a um, an extensive martial arts background. Uh, I have three different black belts, um, one in Aikido, one in Taekwondo, and one in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. They used that against me at my trial, saying that because of my martial arts skills, I should have been able to disarm this person without actually harming them. And the jury went along with that and they found me guilty. But then, like I said, I have these other people telling me, oh, it has nothing to do with that. The only reason they found you guilty is because you're a white guy. You know, you're a white guy who killed the Jewish cop's kid. That's why you're going to prison. And it started to make sense to me. And then they fed me more and more of the, you know, false history that a lot of white supremacists use you know, that, you know, um, the Holocaust never happened, um, Hitler was right, so on and so forth. <clears throat> and being 19 years old and not really knowing a whole lot of this history because, well, it just really wasn't covered in detail when I went to school. And thinking these people know more than what I do. I need to look at this. And I started to get indoctrinated. And then I got to a point while I was, you know, during my trial phase, before I was actually convicted and sentenced, I had reached a mindset that if they send me to prison for defending myself, I'm not going to play the victim. I'm going to be the aggressor. I'm going to take over whatever prison they send me to. I'm going to show them, you know, you want to treat me like an animal. I'm going to show you what an animal is. And of course, I, like I said, I lost my, 
my trial and I got sentenced to 30 years. Okay. And I had started writing to people like David Lane and Tom Metzger and a few other people involved with white supremacy and telling them that I wanted to start my own prison gang. So in 1992, when I first hit the state prison system, um, we had gotten a sanction from Aryan Brotherhood. And they told us that we will back you up if you want to start a prison gang. We'll back you up. You just can't use our name. You can't use Aryan Brotherhood or any derivative of it. So... I was one of the founding members of state prison skinheads in New Jersey. And I decided that I was going to be a hardcore neo-Nazi skinhead because they sent me to prison for defending myself. Now, once I got to state prison, um, one of the first prisons I went to was Trenton State Prison. Uh, it's act, the actual name of it is New Jersey State Prison in Trenton. And I had a few run-ins with people that were involved with Nation of Islam, Black Hebrew Israelites, and the 5% Nation of Gods and Earths. Now, all three of these groups are Black American groups. And their, their ideologies are no better than white supremacists. They are racist in their own right. And all that did for me was reinforce this white supremacy propaganda that people were using to try and get me involved. When I started dealing with people from Black Hebrew Israelites and Nation of Islam, and they're telling me, I'm a devil and, you know, uh, white men don't deserve to live and all this other stuff. I'm like, oh, well, see, these white people over here, they're telling me they're not the racist. It's the other side. Well, they're right, because the other side is treating me, you know, in a, a very racist way. Mm -hmm. And I pushed back, you know. Um, I, I let it be known early on that I may not be the biggest person in the prison, but I will try and take your life if you come after me. Um, one of the first things that happened was uh, a, a member of the Black Hebrew Israelites, um, the ISUPK, which is the International School for Universal Practical Knowledge. I don't know why their name has to be so long, but whatever. <laughs> or, or why it has to be that. But yeah. Um, this man approached my cell, and I had just come back from, from commissary or the prison store. And I had, you know, a bunch of snacks and food and things like that. And he approached my cell and told me, you're going to give me half of what you have or when I come back, I'm going to take it all. And he walked away. I said, okay, well, you shouldn't have gave me a warning. 
because I then commenced to making a shank out of a soda can. Um, in back then in the, the early 1990s, you could still buy cans of soda and other canned goods on commissary. Um, they've since realized that selling metal objects to inmates is not a good idea and they don't do that anymore. But, uh, I took a soda can and I cut the top and the bottom off and flattened it out into, you know, a flat piece of aluminum. And I started bending it from corner to corner about a quarter inch each time. And I would smash it down with my boots and I made a pretty good jagged shank out of it. And I put that on the end of a toothbrush and wrapped it up with some pieces of ripped sheet for a handle. And when he came back to my cell and asked me if I had his stuff ready, I sliced him open from rib cage to rib cage. And people knew within the first couple of months that I was in prison, like that skinny little white boy over there will hurt you. And that did two things. It made people realize I'm not going to be a victim. And if you try and intimidate me or take advantage of me, you might get hurt. And it also let all the other white people know, hey, that dude is serious. When he claims to be a hardcore skinhead, he means it. That's somebody I'd be willing to follow. And it helped extremely in recruiting people into this new prison gang, this white supremacy prison gang known as state prison skinheads. Um, how many members did you end up having? Can you recall the number that you sort of um, ended up having in the group? I honestly can't answer that. Um, I don't know. I know by the time I left in 2004, when I was released from prison, it yeah. was it was in the hundreds within the state of New Jersey, but it had expanded past New Jersey. And there were members in Pennsylvania, Delaware, New York, Maryland, and a couple of other states. Um, as far as I know now, currently, there are members of SPS from, you know, Maine to Florida and as far as far west as the Mississippi. Um, I don't know how many, but I know they are in various states and in high numbers. Um, it's not something that I'm proud of now. You know, I... Now that I'm not involved with white supremacy and I, I, I realized that that propaganda wasn't the truth, you know, the pseudoscience and the false history about it was nothing but lies. And that's one reason that I did leave SPS is because of that. And I've tried to reach out to other people that I brought in to that gang and tell them, Hey, listen, I screwed up, you know, I was wrong and, you know, I don't believe any of that anymore. And I'd really like to get you out. Um, that has not gone very well. 
that ended up getting me numerous death threats. Um, I did have two attempts on my life. Um, someone shot at my house once and they found a bomb in my car. Um, I can't honestly prove that it was members of SPS. Uh, there is another group that I was involved in while I was in prison. Um, I joined the World Church of Creativity. Uh, yeah, a Church of the Creator, founded by Ben Classen in 1973. That group um, also has you know, come after me since my departure from the far right. So I don't know who put the bomb in my car, but it was more than likely one of those two groups. <laughs> now, I already know everybody's going to be like, what is this World Church of the Creator? Um, it is a white supremacist religion that was founded in 1973. It is based on nothing but pseudoscience and hate um oddly enough the adherents to this religion are atheists they do not believe in any god or gods they do not believe in heaven or hell they do believe in evolution to an extent they just don't understand how evolution actually works or they are deniers of how evolution actually works. Their claim is that each ethnicity is in fact a different species. <laughs> Actual science proves that to be not true. Um, we are all humans. We all evolved out of Africa, whether they like it or not. They probably wouldn't um given the ideology they spout now if you uh, sit back and reflect at what point did you start to move away from right did it was there a particular event that caused you to start to move away from yeah the ideology? Um, so i i joined i joined up with creativity in 1996 about four years after we started SPS is when I started studying this religion. <laughs> and I was already an atheist myself at that point. And that was one of the things that they picked up on. That was one of the reasons why they approached me. They saw that I was an atheist and they, you know, obviously knew that I was a hardcore skinhead. I was the leader of a skinhead prison gang. So a couple of these members from Creativity had approached me in the rec yard and started talking to me about this religion. And they gave me some pamphlets and then they gave me some books. We had some conversations and I began to follow this religion until about 2003. Um, about a year before I got out, there was an older gentleman who gave me a couple of books. Um, one of them was a book on biology and another was an introductory course to genetics. Now, I always did very well in school. I, I'm not a genius by any standards. 
I'm not a scientist or a doctor or anything like that. I'm just an average guy who, you know, once upon a time wanted to be a professional mixed martial artist. <laughs> but I do understand enough to know what these books were saying. So as I read them, I started thinking about, well, wait a minute. This is completely different than what, you know, creativity is trying to tell me. You know, this, all these different so-called studies and everything they had by people like uh, J.P. Rushton, you know, and things like that, and all the stuff about eugenics, well, that's false. This clearly states that's false. And this clearly shows how they can prove that's false. So I started questioning people within the church. Explain this. Explain this. Um, yeah, that went down well, huh? Yeah, that that didn't go down very well at all. <laughs> of course, they told me, you know, um, it's just Jewish propaganda. Don't believe the lies. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. You know, that's not a valid response. Debunk it. If you can, prove to me that it's lies. Don't just tell me it's lies. Prove it. And they couldn't prove it. And I started having doubts, just like I did, you know, when I became an atheist, I had doubted the Bible and my beliefs. And I had to sit down and take a good long look at that. Well, I sat down and had a good long look at creativity. And I could not find anything truthful in it. And I told them, hey, listen, I'm out. I don't want to be involved in the church anymore. I'm done with all this. Now, I didn't leave SPS at that time, though. Um, I, I was questioning, though. I was really, really questioning all of the propaganda that I had heard over the years, all the things that I thought were true, that I had learned, that I had studied. I started really looking deeper into them. and. Although I got released in 2004, I technically, I left the movement in 2006, but I didn't officially tell anyone in SPS that I was done until 2012. Um, I don't know if, you know, and I've, I've thought about this over and over. I don't know if it was just a sense of, you know, loyalty to the people that I knew in SPS that I had grown up with, or if it was simply that I, I didn't want them to see me as weak, you know, um, being in prison, you know, separate from all the white supremacy stuff you develop an entirely different mindset. You have to be on guard all times. You're either a shark or you're shark food. And I was definitely a shark. You know, a lot of people say, oh, so you started this gang for protection. Not really. I started it to protect other people. It wasn't to protect me. I can handle my own win, lose, or draw. 
I don't need anybody trying to help protect me. You know, um, I'll take care of my own business. It, and whether it be, you know, a gang of people jumping on me or me fighting somebody one-on-one, I'll handle my own business. Nobody needs to get involved. So I didn't, I didn't start this gang or join creativity out of a sense for a need for protection for myself. But at the same time, I didn't want to leave this gang and have them view me as what they view me as now a traitor and a coward. It took me a few years to be able to accept that that's what it's going to have to be. You know, they're going to see me that way and oh, well, it is what it is because I don't believe this anymore and I'm not going to keep trying to play this part and lying to people because my biggest thing is I don't like being lied to and everything that people had fed me, you know, through the propaganda was lies. So I finally told them in 2012 that I was stepping out and I wanted nothing more to do with anyone involved with any of these groups. Um, and that's when, you know, everything started. I started getting death threats and, you know, everybody viewed me as a traitor and a coward and whatever else. And, oh, well. Uh, you know, that's just how it goes. <laughs> well, I think it, it, you know, that's the sort of, uh, I guess, the stepping out phase. If we, if we can call, coin a sort of title for it or, or a label for it. But when we yeah. get, when you get to <clears throat> where you are today, um, I, but watching the the conversations you have with people on YouTube, is that, I guess that's cathartic for the people you interview, but it may, does it have a similar effect on you? It does. It does. You know, um, I like talking to, you know, talking to different people from, you know, different groups and seeing how, you know, their stories might be similar to mine. And then there are people that I bring on that have stories that are so much different than mine. Um, I had a trans woman, uh, Phoebe Rose, come do an interview on my channel. And she was actually deeply involved with the English Defense League. And I'm like, wait a minute you're trans and she's like well yes you know and they knew it and i'm like so this is a far-right group that accepted you being a trans woman she's like yeah and i'm like now see back in my day when i was doing all that stuff there's no way we would have accepted you under any circumstances i don't care if you're white if you're trans you're not going to be in our group <laughs> and I started to realize like, oh, there's groups out there that are changing their narrative because they're losing their base. They're losing their recruits. So now they're trying to say, okay, well, we don't care if you're trans. As long as you're white, we'll accept you. And I'm like, okay. So they're willing to compromise just to get 
more recruits just to get more numbers and you know keep spewing that hate they're starting to make compromises because they are losing and they know they're losing you know and that's a good sign in a way but at the same time it's a scary sign because how far are they willing to compromise you know to to get people involved and if it gets to a point where they know you know there is no no recovery from this what are they going to do are they going to turn violently extremist and start committing acts of terrorism you know um the groups that i belong to back then especially you know the what's known now as the creativity movement they are definitely a terrorist group um thankfully canada has recognized that i'm still trying to hope that the united states you know where i live will put them on a a terrorist list and list them as terrorists as far as i know they are on a watch list um they've had people involved with their religion that were caught manufacturing ricin that's a scary scary thought you know you have these people all over the world and you know you can link one of their followers to manufacturing ricin how is that not terroristic in nature you know this person had a plan to spread this biological weapon and kill thousands of people so if they can't continue to grow and they know they're losing this war they're going to take whatever measures they think are necessary and that is not going to end well to what extent um are you also involved in uh, interventions uh, do you do any of that kind of work with younger yeah. people yeah how do you find that um honestly so far the people that i've helped have reached out to me um the only person that didn't actually reach out to me for help it was someone who was literally trying to troll my youtube channel um they were leaving some very disgusting comments and i responded to them with well that proves to me that you know you don't know what you're talking about and that the the person that you are talking about is in fact correct you know and if you disagree with that i'd be more more than happy to debate you but not here in my comment section you can contact me through a video link send me an email and this person sent me an email so i responded to him with a a link for streamyard said if you want to talk to me in person about this click the link you know and we sat down and we had we had a debate um privately just me and this person and i'm i'm not going to put his name out there cuz i don't know if he's ready to you know yeah i'm not going to dox him 
basically. I don't know if he's ready to admit who he is, so I'll keep that quiet for now. But that's that's fun. Yeah. Um it it went back and forth for a few days. You know, we we met up quite a few times and eventually I gave him, you know, different things to look at and showed him different things. And he decided, you know what? You've proven quite a few things wrong. Um, he didn't agree that I proved all of his propaganda wrong, but it was enough to get him thinking. And over the past, well, what is this? This is July, so April, May, June, July. So over the past three months, he has slowly reached a point to where he's pretty much not active in white supremacy anymore um he's you know walked away from all that and now he's just trying to figure out how to uh (laughs) let them know you know completely disengage because he's heard stories like you know my story and jeff scoop and other people and he's scared and I get that. I, I completely understand that. He's afraid to tell these groups that he doesn't believe in them anymore because he doesn't know what the outcome is going to be. And I get that. But I'm happy with the fact that he doesn't believe that ideology anymore. He's ready to be a better person and change his life around. That to me is a, is a success. Even if he hasn't told them yet, He's told me, and I take that as a win. And all it took was a little bit of empathy and a conversation. That simple. It strikes me that what you've touched on there is something that um, on a a larger level, um, the United States can't seem to have because a lot of the media is polarized. Yeah. Uh, there's a, there is, uh, I think, an active pursuit of reasons to be um, contrarian, reasons to create um, difference. Um, I don't think it's necessarily just a marketing ploy, <laughs> but there yeah. are the, the, the reasons. There's the, the a reason to create the, the the impression that there's always some other you're beating up or you're fighting. Yeah, the United States. You know, we we have this, and I I, I haven't figured out why, but people in this country have this idea this tribalistic mindset, you know, we all talk about equality and equity. And at the same time, there are these massive groups of people who say, we want equality, we want equity, you know, and that side is the side that's stopping us. You know, our, our side, our tribe is the good side. And then the side that they're speaking out against is saying, no, 
our side's the good side because you don't want to accept, you know, what we want. You only want equality and equity for everybody that you agree with, everybody in your echo chamber. You only want equality on your own terms. Yeah. Right. You know, and they're both doing this, though, at the same time. You know, um, right before we came on, I was saying how if you go far enough left, you end up on the right. Because you have these people who claim to be Antifa and claim to be on the left. And at the same time, they're saying, oh, well, anybody that's on the far right just needs to be exterminated. We just need to kick them out of the country. We just need to get rid of them, put them out on an island somewhere. How is that not fascist? You're doing the same thing that you're claiming to fight against. And I say this all the time on my channel. You cannot become that which you oppose. It's not that hard to figure out. Once you become the thing that you oppose, you're only repeating this cycle. And we keep doing that in this country. I, I've, I've looked back through you know, different times in history in this country, you know, and we keep doing it. We had the Civil War, okay? The North won, you know, against the South. But in an order to be fair and say we're going to have equality and equity, we're going to let the South keep their, you know, generals and, you know, their heroes Keep them around through these statues and everything else. And we all see where that led. It led to Jim Crow laws and everything else. So we started all over again with the whole racist thing. Then in the 1940s, we had World War II. Things started to get a little bit better because, well, you know, black men were allowed to fight in combat finally. They were allowed to prove themselves. But then after the war, well, everything changed again. Okay, well, now we're giving them too much equality. They're taking from us, but they weren't. Nobody was taking anything from anybody. It was everybody trying to be on equal footing. And some people are afraid of that because they're afraid if they're on the same equal ground that I am, they're going to realize I'm actually less than because I'm not man enough to admit my faults. And it started the whole thing again up until the 1960s. We had Martin Luther King and the whole civil rights movement and things started to get better. And then everything blew up. Martin Luther King got assassinated. Everything went to crap. Then in the 1990s, Ronald Reagan came in. We started trying to fight for equality and equity again. And everything went to crap. And now here we are, 2021, we're trying to recover from four years of the mango Mussolini himself, Donald J. Trump, <laughs> and the mess that he created and exposing just how many racist people are in this country. Everybody wants to say, look what Trump started. Trump didn't start it. They were already there. He just gave them a reason to speak out and be noticed. You know, and people need to realize that this problem never went away because you keep 
battling back and forth and speaking at each other instead of to one another. Sit down, have a conversation, find out what you actually have in common. You might be surprised by how much you have in common with the people that you claim are the far right or the far left. Mm -hmm. And when you can find that common ground, you might be able to make some compromises and stop all this madness. Now, Ed, there's one thing that keeps coming up throughout our discussion. And we're probably going to address it explicitly. Um, and that is the role of education and appropriate education and critical yeah. thinking in shaping the way people um, see the world. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I don't know what it was like when, when you went through school back when, you know, in, in, the, in your teenage years, but <coughs> I certainly remember I wasn't being sort of given, you know, copies of Plato to take home and read, right? <laughs> but, um, Based on what you know about the education system in the States and in your own experience, what could we do better? Um, what could be done better to, to, to help the new generation inoculate itself from um, sort of false history or from um, yeah. uh, ideologies that are designed to, you know, Disrupt what I mean, social cohesion, if I can use that term. Yeah. I, I think one major thing we need, especially in the United States, is we need to start having civics class again. Um, I don't know when that stopped. I know I had civics when I was in school. I, I had to take that class. And apparently... Um, you know, people in their 20s didn't have civics class. Well, well wait a second. Um, so you were taught, what were you taught in civics class? What do you remember? Well, I, you know, we were, we were taught all the basics, of course, you know, how our government runs. We have the president and the Congress and the Senate and, you know, the Supreme Court and what each branch does, you know, the judiciary branch over the, you know, presidential branch and so on and so forth. Yeah, the, the balance of balance of powers and separation right. of responsibilities. Yeah, yeah. We we learned all that. We learned how you know the voting system works. We learned you know how uh, you know like the legal limitations for becoming president. You have to be born in this country. So on and so forth. We learned all that, and then we also learned how things work or things are supposed to work in politics. How are amendments drafted? How are they enacted into law? You know, um, why is there state laws opposed to federal laws? Things like that. People don't understand a lot of that nowadays. I, you know, I ask my, my kids, you know, what they know about 
the constitution and everything and they're like well i don't know that's that's our rights and i'm like well to a certain extent yeah but they're they're actually the law of the land also though they you know that's the the highest law and they're like oh okay whatever and i'm like no this is important like this is something you need to know this isn't just a whatever let me, let me get back to watching American Idol, old boy. You know, <laughs> and it's it's scary. It's like, okay, but do you even know why we have the Constitution? And they're like, I don't know, you know, because we need laws. It's like, oh, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess in a way you're right. We do need laws, but why do we need laws you know and they're like well i don't know yeah <laughs> right so, so the, uh, yeah you, you you through your own experience but also through that uh through the discussions you have with uh with your kids yeah um you're finding um you find that there's an inadequacy yeah we there. definitely need civics class and we need better history I learned in school that Native Americans were the enemy and they had to be defeated. And now that I'm older and I'm actually learning what really happened, it's like, huh, it's not that they were the enemy. Europeans just wanted this land, you know, and they took it through hook and by crook, you know, <laughs> um, some of it was violent conflict, but a lot of it was broken promises. And I think that actually needs to be taught. You know, um, I'm not Native American at all, you know, but at the same time, I, I've, you know, become friends with quite a few of them. And I see these treaties that aren't being honored. You know, it's like, hey, like, that's not okay. You know, this is an active treaty. This is something that the United States government promised to these people. And now you're breaking those promises. And these people are mad. They're, you know, I mean, granted, I'd be mad too. You promised me something and you break that promise. There's going to be an issue. But the United States wants to say, oh, they're just extremists. They're just terrorists. They're just whatever. And it's like, no, they are sovereign people that you made a promise to. And if you can't keep your promise, that's your fault. You can't get mad at them now for wanting to fight back and say, hey, remember you signed this piece of paper saying this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, things like that need to be recognized. And, you know, of course, the systemic race, racism in this country. And it is real. There absolutely is a systemic, you know, racist problem in this country. It needs to be addressed. We're never going to have equality and equity in this country as long as there are people fighting for the 1% elite and not everybody else. That needs to be addressed. Yeah, Ed, that's a convenient spot which to conclude what's been a fairly extensive conversation with you. Um, where can people find your YouTube channel if they listen to this and they want to go, go and um, watch some of the interviews? 
Well, you can find me at Grumpy Old Dude on YouTube. Um, I I do have a Twitter. It's Grumpy Old Dude Eight. You can look for me there and find all my other links in the About section of my YouTube channel or on Twitter. Um, I haven't been very active on Twitter lately. I'm, I'm trying to distance myself from that dumpster fire, but uh, <laughs> um, I, things have been kind of kind of hectic and crazy. Hopefully, I will be putting out some new content in the very near future. And um, I would like to announce, I'm, I'm going to give you a little exclusive here, that uh, hopefully this time next year, there will be a book about my memoirs coming out. Okay. How's that? Yeah. Um, you, are you, you're in the middle of writing now? Um, I actually just finished up interviewing with the person that's going to write the book because I can't write to save my life. So we're going to let someone else do that part. <laughs> okay. Okay. So uh, it'll be um, a co-write effectively. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. Look, it, it, it's a, and that'll be a process whereby some people will... Uh, uh, pick up the book and learn a bit more about um, your journey and what took you out of it. Ed, thank you so much for having a chat with me today. Yeah, well, I want to thank you. You know, um, I'm always glad to come on and, and do these interviews and have these conversations. And, you know, I, I want to let everybody know that it's okay to have these conversations and it's okay to disagree. You know, um, just admit when you're wrong. That's the hard part. If you can admit that you're wrong, you can make a better change because that's what I had to do. And now I'm fighting for everybody and not just my echo chamber. Ed, thank you so much. Thank you.